Welcome to the Mentium Matters podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. I'm Solvay Brown, and today I am thrilled to be talking with Mentium CEO Missy Chikre and Inquest CEO Scott Hoseman. We will discuss the intersection of DEI and mentoring, especially in terms of creating psychological safety, authentic human connection, and space and grace. Welcome, Missy and Scott. I am glad to have you both here today. I would love for you to introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about your career journey. Missy, let's start with you. Thanks, Sylvain. Happy to be here and happy to be partnering with my friend and colleague, Scott Hoseman. I think our audience has heard enough about my journey, so I'm just going to keep it short and sweet today so we can focus on our audience getting to know Scott. Uh, but I stepped into the CEO role at Mentium in February of 2023, and it has been an absolute honor and delight to lead the organization and to continue to be mentored by Mentium owner and former CEO Lynn Sontag. I'm very excited about where we're going, what we're focused on, and how we're doubling down on authentic human connection. My background is in human resources. I spent the bulk of my career in various HR roles before joining Mentium about six and a half years ago. I was at Cargill, Best Buy, and Accenture. I actually spent a lot of that time in HR in diversity and inclusion roles. So it is a space that is near and dear to my heart. And it's really fascinating to see the evolution of what is now DEI, DEIB. There are a lot of different acronyms out there, uh, but it's exciting to see the evolution. And it was very exciting for Scott and I to meet and to be able to connect around this work and be able to really start to dissect mentoring in the space of DEI and why it's so interconnected, relevant, and powerful. Oh, totally. Thank you so much, Missy. How about you, Scott? Can you tell us a bit about your career journey? Well, yes. First of all, thank you, Solvay and Missy, for inviting me on to this podcast. Excited to continue the partnership and, and this discussion about the intersection of DEI and mentoring. Missy, as you were speaking, I was just really reflecting it to probably, what, five or six years ago, you and I were in a green room as speakers at a conference, and we were the only ones in the room and we started chatting. And it, that's when the kind of doors opened of like, wait a minute, there's a connection here of somebody who is thinking in a challenging way. And I mean that with the highest sense of, of positivity uh, about this field and the work that we're doing. And that really resonated with me. That very first meeting and that spark over five years ago, Missy, of you and I connecting was really powerful. So thank you for that. And I'm glad we've been able to continue that partnership. So Scott Hoseman, CEO of Inquest Consulting, pronouns he, him, a visual description because I'm a DEI guy and I practice disability inclusion practices. A visual description for me is I am an over 50 white thinning gray hair, goatee, wearing glasses, white male, and happy to be with you on this podcast. I've been in the DEI space for over 25 years. Uh, I'm a reformed mortgage banker. That was my early career. So as you might imagine, when I say that, we weren't even calling it DEI 25 years ago, Missy, to your point. The program where I started was doing a sensitivity program sensitivity training program 
to one of the nation's largest retailers. And you know, since then, you know, I certainly have seen a lot of ups and downs and twists and turns, and the landscape continues to shift. You know, we saw a seismic shift in May of 2020 with the murder of George Floyd. And I believe we're in another shift right now, you know, a little more than three years later for this work. And so I'm excited to continue this discussion. We are a global training and consulting firm. This is our focus, DEI, team effectiveness, leadership development, culture, and change is what we do every day at Inquest. Oh, that's great. Thank you for that, Scott. I'm curious, you talked about meeting Missy in the green room, you know, five, six years ago. Is that how you originally met? That is how we met. And we started talking about, critically, about the space of both mentoring and DEI. And I think both of us as leaders in our firms, we were like, we're not satisfied at all that, you know, we've got the magic bullet here and figuring it all out. And it's that hunger of, we don't have all the answers and the journey of continuing to raise the bar and challenge ourselves and challenge others to do better and get better results from our work. But Missy, that's what connected me to you right from the beginning was not being satisfied with where we were. Yeah, totally agree. When we met, we just clicked instantly. It was like we had known each other for years. And something else I think that really connected us is that we're mission-driven personally and our organizations. It really is about a mission and wanting to positively transform and impact organizational culture and then, you know, more broadly the world in some way that we can through the work that we do. So I think that was part of the connection of we're driven by our missions. We're so passionate about the work we're doing. We want to sort of leave workplaces better We want to help people rise to their full potential and practice things like space and grace and kindness, which we're going to talk more about today. So that definitely was one of the connectors. And because I spent so much time in the DEI space in corporate America, what really impressed me about Scott and Inquest is a very innovative, fresh approach to it, because while the space has evolved, sometimes it feels like we're doing more of the same. And it can feel frustrating sometimes, you know, we want to make more progress. We want to see more outcomes. So I was really impressed, you know, right off the bat with just the fresh look at DEI. And, you know, I think your tagline is doing DEI differently. So that really attracted me to the work that Scott and his team are doing, as well as some of the similarities and shared mission of if we partner and do some things together, we can make a greater impact. Yeah, I can see why you hit it off. You both are so passionate about the work and totally mission-driven. Scott, I'm curious, how does Inquest look at DEI differently? Well, I think first and foremost, Sobey, we consider ourselves as we're business consultants first. Second, we're culture change consultants. And we do that work as business consultants and culture change consultants through the lens of DEI. And that may sound like, okay, you know, consultants speak, I guess, but it it really is an important framing for us. Our, Our goal, first and foremost, is business performance, business outcomes, business success. 
we do that through cultural transformation, meaning you know, our, our, our clients aren't satisfied with something that's happening today. They need to move from point A to point B. So that's where culture transformation is. Because if they were completely satisfied and everything was working well, they wouldn't need us, right? So, and we do that through the lens of DEI. And so DEI for us is not the end result. It's an enabler for us to get better business and people outcomes, a better employment experience, better development opportunities, not just for some of the people, some of the time, but for all of us, all of the time. And, and that's what I, I think a distinction is from DEI, because we all, and we find this with the, our, our client partners, tend to be really inclusive with the people we're inclusive of. <laughs> we're really good at it with the people we're inclusive of. And we may not always be so aware or in the know or tuned to when that's not the case in our interactions, even for us as DEI practitioners for 25 plus years. And this is a journey I'm still on. Um, so. You know, when I think about your, your question about how do we do it differently, it is ingraining ourselves and becoming intimate with our clients, business strategies, people objectives, mission, Missy, to your point, what are they really driving for? And how can DEI assist them in that versus less representation and the counting and the numbers and, you know, the number of employer business resource groups the number of events people have, those things are important. I don't want to knock any of that, but they should be in service of something bigger. That's our view. Hopefully I answered that question a little, uh, at least a little bit. Yeah, totally. I like that distinction of cultural transformation through the lens of DEI as just a way to create better outcomes across the board. In our prep meeting for this podcast, you talked about psychological safety and how important that was in an organization. Can you walk us through some ways in which organizational cultures can cultivate more psychological safety? Yeah, so great. I think there's, I want to be careful and offer this disclaimer first because psychological safety can feel a bit like a trending buzzword in this space recently. And you know, I, I tend to be really cautious or skeptical when that happens. So I want to offer a quick back, backdrop here. I think the very words now, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and in some cases, belonging or access, are have become charged all of a sudden. And maybe not all of a sudden, this trend has been evolving but they are charged, they're viewed as political lightning rods, there's divisiveness about this work. That's happening, that's a reality. Whether I like it or not, it's, it, it's happening. So the conversations that myself and our team and others in the field have been having are like, wait a minute, if, if these words are politicized and we're not getting the results, what, what is it that we're really after? What, what is, what's the work really intended to do? And I, there's a, a strong draw for this notion of psychological safety as a result, because isn't that what we're really after when we use the broad DEI, DEIB 
framework, we're wanting everybody to feel psychologically safe. That's safety to be myself, safety to challenge, meaning if I see something, if it's a if it's a physical safety issue on a manufacturing floor, do I feel safe raising the issue that I'm not going to get in trouble because I saw something and said something? Safety to challenge, safety in the systems, meaning if I do you know, report an issue, if I do come to the table with something that I think is an opportunity, the system will protect me without retribution. That's what we're all looking for isn't it in our workplaces? Safety to be who I am at work. Safety to challenge when I see something that, that may not be working. And safety in the systems that I'm operating in. And that means I'm going to be paid equitably for the same work that other people are doing. I'm going to have the safety in the systems that my promotability is going to be taken into account based on my ability, skills, and competencies um, versus other factors. Uh, and so for us, psychological safety is a great way to kind of say, all right, let's stop all of the divisiveness on this topic and let's get back to some basics. What, what do we really mean and what's our real intention when we're doing this work? Yeah, I think that is so important, Scott, now more than ever. Missy, how would you say the concept of psychological safety and some of the things Scott just talked about applies to mentoring? It's funny, Scott, you took the words right out of my mouth because I was thinking about the fact that psychological safety, emotional safety has become this buzzword and everybody is sort of using it and talking about it. And I mean, I think it's great that people are talking about it and thinking about it and how do we make this a reality because it's nice to say it's a very different thing to actually create the space where people do feel emotionally safe. Here at Mentium, we talk about it a lot in the context of a mentoring partnership because between mentee and mentor, it is so critical and paramount to have that psychological safety to truly maximize a mentoring partnership because when mentee and mentor can be vulnerable, authentic, transparent, that's where the magic happens. And that's where a mentee can really dive into his or her goals for the partnership, what's working, what's hard, what's complicated, what the hurdles are, what the obstacles are that are getting in the way. So we often say that at the early stages of a mentee-mentor partnership, the first couple of months are all about developing trust and rapport. You need time to build the trust and rapport before you can really dig in and then get to the outcomes you're looking for through the partnership. So that's why we spend a lot of time through our launch and through our supporting materials to help the mentee and mentor be set up for success in developing the trust and rapport first. And then the authenticity comes, the vulnerability comes, and it's exactly what you're talking about, Scott. How do we each show up in our workplaces where we can do those things? Because that is where then people are at their best, they can rise to their full potential, they can feel like they're included and they belong. So it is a little bit of, let's go back to the foundation, let's go back to the basics. I feel like we've complicated so much of this. And at the core, if we go back to what does it mean to feel emotionally safe in your workplace, in your community, in your relationships, and then what are the outcomes that's able to drive for people and for organizations? And it even loops back to what you were talking about earlier with culture change and influencing culture 
I started my career as a change management analyst. And I always say that was not knowing at the time, of course, the best foundation I could have had from everything that's come afterward. Because whether it's DEI work or the work we're doing through mentoring and how we're trying to help organizations enable their human capital strategies, their talent strategies, it goes back to how do we transform organizational cultures? What is the process to do that? What are the building blocks to do that? What does the engagement of different stakeholders look like to do that? So I really appreciate that's how I started my corporate career because it has created such a strong foundation and mindset for me going into everything I've done since. Well, and Missy, that's partly why I love the work that you and the way you all do the work at Mintium, because there, there are plenty of mentoring consulting shops and mentoring programs out there. The care that you all take in your matching processes, the care that you take in terms of those first couple months that you described of setting the right tone and relationship mentee to mentor. We've seen so many similarly situated mentoring programs and clients where they're just like throw people together and say, okay, good luck, make it work. And, you know, I I think there's power to your process and how you do that. And it's proven, right? Your track record speaks for itself. But it, it also, the intersection of DEI comes into that, which is really important. Because our workplaces, for most of us, are where we encounter the, the greatest degree of people who are different from us. Mm-hmm. But what happens, in, in my opinion, is while we, we, we are in these diverse workplaces, we don't always still take the time. While we have access and differences around us, do we really become proximate or knowledgeable about those differences around us in any number of cases. And what I love about a mentoring relationship, it it allows us to develop a, a relationship, proximity, trust, rapport in ways that we don't normally take the time to invest in some of our relationships at work. And that's where learning and growth can happen for both parties. It makes me think about the very first workshop I sat in at that conference where we met, Scott, and you did the work around network analysis. And I know you're doing more work in that space because if people take a step back and really evaluate who is in my network, who are the people in my circle I interact with most frequently, often it's people with similar backgrounds who look like us, who are in a similar socioeconomic status. There are a lot of different factors at play. But how often do we step back and really take a look at that and be conscious of, yeah, who's in my circle? Who am I interacting with on a regular basis? Am I being exposed to people who are different from me, who have different backgrounds, different interests? There's, you know, we can look at and evaluate difference on a whole host of different dimensions. Mm -hmm. But I think that work is really powerful because when people actually take the time to analyze it, that's where the ahas come in. Well, and you know, we're working with clients now. So back to your comment about how do we do DEI differently, you know, we're working with exec teams on who's in their LinkedIn networks and looking at that because guess what? If I can go look at a senior team's LinkedIn network and who they're connected with, so can everybody else. 
And, you know, being conscious and deliberate, not to just go add people in our networks to add people because they meet a certain, you know, demographic criteria, but to do that and rebuild those relationships and connections authentically in meaningful ways that have value, you know, some of the work we do. Mm -hmm. Totally. Scott, I want to circle back a little bit on something you mentioned earlier, you know, about having this, you know, feeling the safety to be able to challenge things you may not like in the workplace. Can you talk more about how you create that space where a courageous conversation can happen? Because I think so many people, it gives them, they they feel afraid or they just don't feel comfortable. And how do you go about doing that in an organizational culture? This is perhaps going to sound like an oversimplification, but when leaders ask us that very question, you know, we respond by how are you modeling as a leader that you're open to being challenged or requesting feedback? So, you know, we ask that leaders try to, in their own words, in the way that's, you know, feels right to them, think about incorporating questions like, is there anything that I need to be doing to best support you in your work? Simple question. Is there anything I need to be doing And too often leaders are having the conversation with team members about here's what you need to do versus is there anything I need to be doing? And that sends a tone that we're in it together and that if there is something, I'm at least maybe open to hearing what your view is. And then, you know, you can ask the question directly, do you have any feedback for me? How can I be and, you know, my role my position in the organization, is there anything that you're seeing that would help me be more effective? Those two simple questions start creating a culture and a tone where the conversation shifts. It's no longer this power dynamic between leader and employee, but it shifts to, wait a minute, we're sharing information in this kind of two-way collaborative approach that doesn't take away the leader's responsibility to lead in times of crisis where you know something needs to be done, give direction, manage workflow, all, all of that still holds true. But how do we build a culture where there's these conversations do not include the same power dynamics as some of the other conversations we may be having as leaders? So that's, that's one thought. Right. Missy, can you elaborate that? on that in terms of the mentoring partnership, how do you have some of those courageous conversations within that mentoring space? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to what I was talking about earlier with you have to build the trust and rapport first in order to get there. And I think especially in a cross company mentoring relationship, it helps to remove some of the filters um, to have a courageous conversation because it is someone outside your own organization. I think also within internal mentoring relationships within an organization, you can also do that. And you have to take the time to build the trust, rapport, and relationship. I think also, you know, something I always hear from Mentium mentors, I hear it at least once a day, if not more, is the mentors always say, I get just as much out of it as the mentee. That is a different mindset though, of the leaders who are choosing to mentor, they have a mindset of, I may be the mentor, but I'm still learning. 
and I'm still growing and there's something I can get out of this relationship as well. So I think also the setup of, yes, the mentor is more experienced. The mentor is a guide and a mentor being open to learn, being open to that bi-directional learning. That is really powerful in terms of how do you have a courageous conversation? If both parties, so to speak, are coming to the table with a mindset of openness and willingness to be challenged and grow and learn, that's really important. So that can play out in a mentoring relationship, but it plays out exactly how Scott was just saying in the workplace, you know, with a leader and a team. And I just keep hearing in my head over and over this model of the express model reinforce. So as a leader, how do you express model and reinforce the behaviors you want to see? And I think about even my own journey and even my transition at Mentium, you know, I think there's sometimes this, we put pressure on ourselves as a leader to say, I have to know all the answers. I have to be able to advise everyone on every situation and being able to let go of that and be open and transparent. All the things we talked about vulnerable saying, I don't know, I've never confronted the situation before. Let's talk through it together. What do you think? It takes a little bit of relinquishing that pressure of because of my title, I should have the answer. And then really partnering with your team, right? You have your team because they each bring unique strengths, talents, and experiences. And I think that's one way that leaders can model. It's okay to not have all the answers all the time and to say, let's talk through this together. I really want your perspective. What do you think? And then being able to have a courageous conversation around anything, right? Courageous conversations can relate to many different aspects, not only diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations. We have to have courageous conversations all the time in the workplace about many different factors. And I think coming in with a mindset of openness, willingness to learn, willingness to be challenged, and then modeling, that's what sets the tone. Because as a leader in an organization, you can talk the talk, right? You can say the thing, the buzzword, but if you're not modeling it and demonstrating it in your actions, then there will be no culture transformation. Missy, it's, it, I, I can't help but think about as I'm, I'm hearing you, it's hitting really close to home because this last Friday, we have uh, we, we had our monthly inquest team meeting and we, we gather everybody monthly and we, we do this virtually. And at inquest, part of our culture is we don't have a lot of hierarchy or structure or policies per se. It's just, it's how we formed over uh, 11 years ago. Uh, I had been in and led three other consultancies that were very kind of rigid um, policy practice driven for everybody. And I don't know that it, it didn't create the outcomes I was looking for when we started to build inquest. So <laughs> we were on this team meeting and the team brought up wanting to have more structure and policy around our travel and expense procedures. What could be expensed when they're out and about? And my immediate reaction was a, a complete like talk to the hand. <laughs> like I am rejecting this right now because the 11 years that we've been formed, we are policy adverse and I don't want things black or white because I don't think that drives the behavior that we're, we're after. And one of our newer team members said, I don't think you're hearing us. And I had to step back and say, okay, yes, thank you. You are experiencing me, me being irritated. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to own that right now because here's why. And thank you for stopping me and pausing the action because there's something here. 
if we take this, because I was digging my heels in, right, about the position I've had for 11 years, and I wasn't hearing the team. So we didn't resolve it then. But what I agreed to do is say, okay, you know what, thank you. Let us go back and look at what we can do. How do we honor both of these things? How do we honor kind of the vision and the early, you know, startup mentality that was so important to our culture and the need that I'm hearing for a little more structure and guidance? Because if you're working at trying to spin on like what to do, what not to do, your energy is going in the wrong place. And as a leader, I need to help resolve that. So it's just this notion. I share that with you to say, I don't get it right all the time. And my team will be happy to tell me when I don't. Totally. And what you're modeling is, you know, that people felt comfortable challenging you. They felt comfortable saying, stop, wait a minute, you're not hearing me. So I think that speaks volumes about Inquest's culture, that you could have these conversations about every aspect of the business. Yeah. And they're hard. And they're challenging conversations. And these, we are all DEI practitioners and change management consultants. This is what we do. And it's hard, right? So, you know, I don't take for granted when we throw models up like, oh, it's a psychological safety model. And there are four steps to psychological safety. I try to lean into like, this is not easy stuff. Yeah. And I, I want to underscore something else, Missy, that you said. I want to go backwards for just a second because I, I, I think it is an underused opportunity in the mentoring space. This is my view as an outsider to your world and field. But this notion of cross-company mentorship, I think a lot of times we think only of mentoring as internal, and that has its benefits. But what I love and I have come to appreciate is the work that you all have done around cross-company mentor-mentee relationships in a formalized, systemic way because of the network that you all have built over time, which I think is really powerful. And I don't think it's what most people think of when they think of mentoring. And I think for many companies who are coming at it for the first time, they think, oh, it's a mentoring program. I just need to find 15 people and match them with another 15 people who I have, and that will start the process. Oh, okay. That's one way. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've been at the cross company mentoring game for a long time, but you're right. It is when I talk to organizations, you know, who are looking at maybe starting a formalized mentoring program for the first time, sometimes we start talking about internal mentoring and then we shift over to cross company mentoring, or sometimes we start talking about cross company mentoring and then we shift to internal mentoring and it doesn't have to be one or the other. You know, that's what we often talk about is there are lots of different ways to take a look at mentoring. It depends on what is your talent strategy? What are the outcomes you're looking for through a mentoring experience? And then we can back into, okay, what's the best approach? Or maybe it's multiple approaches, thinking about like a suite of mentoring offerings because they meet different needs and have different outcomes. So it's what you talked about early on with the work you do around what are the business objectives what are your goals? You know, we often are talking and working with HR leaders. So what are your human capital goals? What are you trying to achieve with leadership development? Who's your key talent? So it is more of an assessment of understanding the landscape around talent. And then, okay, then we can get to the solution that we think will be most effective for the need you're trying to meet right now. Well, and 
I think it just increases the number of tools in the toolbox then, right? So it's not just everything mentoring looks one way, right? So, you know, you hear what the needs are and objectives. And, and if I overlay a DEI lens on that, and I, I know you all do this, uh, but if, if my goal is I've got an underrepresented population, meaning my numbers of some demographic fill in the blank, could be younger employees, LGBTQ plus, uh, BIPOC employees, what women, what fill in the demographic, but uh, white men in some organizations that could be the the underrepresented demographic group. What that can be difficult in an organization. So if you're already a minority, and you're trying, you know minority population, mentoring up into a majority organization can be difficult. It may, uh, there may come with a lot of risk to do that because I'm already feeling perhaps singled out or spotlighted or that I've got to carry the burden of my demographic on my shoulders because I'm the only one in these rooms who match that demographic. So cross-company mentoring could be a way to get that process started in a little more neutral, less charged way. So I don't know if that made any sense at all, but I think that just understanding even what are we trying to accomplish mentoring these various populations through a demographic mm -hmm. lens. Exactly. And each organization has a different focus with it in terms of looking at, you know, who is the population I want to mentor and why, you know, yep. that is the start of the conversation. Missy and Scott, this has been a fantastic conversation about the intersection between DEI and mentoring. And I've been taking notes the whole time because you brought up so many great points. I appreciate both of both that you both bring such passion to this. And I appreciate that you're both innovative, cutting edge. If there was one takeaway that you would want people to remember from this conversation, what would it be? Scott, let's start with you on this one. Don't fall into the DEI trap of food, fun, and famous people. You know, let's do international potluck. Let's talk about, you know, let's just host the, the celebratory events only. And, and let's talk about all the famous people who meet a demographic. I, I think we need to move well beyond that and to attempt to not get caught in the divisive conversation on this topic and, and go back to the fundamentals that listen, in our workplaces, we, all of us, want to be valued, respected, welcomed, and heard. All demographics, all sexual orientations, all ages, all socioeconomic status, we want to feel welcomed, valued, respected, and heard. And that's what DEI work means to me, and if we can go back and remember that, I think that will serve us well going forward and navigating the time we're in right now. Thank you, Scott. What about you, Mitzi? What is the takeaway that you would want people to remember from this conversation? In a very complex world where technology is advancing us and helping us in a variety of ways, there is no replacement for authentic human connection. And I truly believe that people are craving that more than ever in our current environment. So the one takeaway I would leave is continue to value relationships, connection, and put the effort in, whether it's through mentoring relationship or any relationship you have with a colleague, a coworker, a friend, someone in your community, take the time to authentically connect and be there for people.
be that safe space that we talked about that psychologically safe, emotionally safe space for someone because people need it more than ever. That is so true. Thank you both for having this authentic, candid, real conversation. It has just been a pleasure to sit down with both of you. And I hear that you two are going to be hosting a roundtable with other HR leaders later this fall. And so I will look forward to that. For those of our listeners who are interested in that, you can stay tuned to the Mentium LinkedIn page and the Inquest LinkedIn page for further details. For those of you in the Mentium community, there will be a business education webinar on courageous conversations featuring Inquest's Gloria Cotton on September 7th. Thank you for listening to this Mentium Matters podcast. We have many great episodes lined up and we look forward to having you join us next time.